0: A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world, so others may benefit. Hello World Game 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 Changers, wherever you are in the world today. A very warm welcome yes. and a unique one today. I mean, they're all unique in terms of the content, but this one really is. So why do I say that? It's the first time I've had a guest from Uganda in Africa. And I am very, very pleased to welcome Naboth Namara. Naboth, well, you're, you're the first, sir. You're the first from Uganda. So um, what we thought we'd talk about was the challenges in within Uganda. A very warm welcome to you, sir.
1: Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about the challenges in Uganda and to have a conversation with uh, with you, with a person of your calibre. So, thank you very much.
0: Pleasure. So, where do we start on this, Naboth? Where do we start? Because, uh, I mean, I for one, I've never been to Uganda, so I, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where where you're going to take us on this. Um, the challenges within Uganda, start us
1: off. Uh, there, there are quite a number of challenges within Uganda, which are similar to all other challenges in developing countries, especially countries also without to a fully developed democracy and without to a strong middle class. So, but major challenges that I can see, which are serious in Uganda, One of them is violence. And when I talk about violence, I mean violence in general, but I also include under violence, the issue of sexual and gender-based violence. Now, This is a very serious challenge in the country because the cases of gender-based violence are increasing day by day. For example, in the year 2019 to 2020, gender-based violence cases jumped from uh, 2,386 to about 8,203. Just in that short period of time, gender-based violence cases reported to police tripled, almost tripled, more than tripled actually. And we find that most of, yes, and we find that most of the victims of gender-based violence of gender-based violence were actually women, female, uh, women and girls. Uh, and uh, this is considered a significant percentage although male adults also experienced some form of, of, of gender-based violence. Others, for example, juveniles also received some form of gender-based violence, particularly female, female juveniles. So according to the government of Uganda report, over 18,000, almost 19,000 people were victims of domestic violence. We're talking about domestic violence now. And 3,000 of these were male, 13,000 were female. And over 1,000, almost 1,200 were married juveniles while the same number, similar number were also female juveniles. And this comes according to the government of Uganda report of 2021 violence and gender-based violence take various forms. They can take forms of, of uh, female genital mutilation, which has been identified as a form of violence. And as a consequence, a law has been enacted in Uganda to stop FGM following UN UN consider, considering it as a form of violence against women. And therefore it can take a form of FGM because some, count, some communities, especially in Eastern Uganda, still practice female genital mutilation. They force women to do it and society normally force women to do it because if you don't do it, you don't get married. You have to marry from another tribe. But evidence also violence shows itself in many other forms like physical violence, beatings, these forms of beating people and all that. And for example, in the year 2016, 50, 56% of women who are aged between 40, 15 and 49 experienced physical violence. And 56% of men and fifty-two percent of men have experienced physical violence since the age of 15. So and thirty-five 5% reported sexual violence against girls. Now you can see the form of violence, that it is too much. More than half of the population has experienced one form of violence from one form of violence to another. Now, when it comes to sexual and gender-based violence, uh, the current, this year 2021 report shows that, uh, the 2020 report shows that over 14,000 girls and 140 boys were were defiled, were defiled in the year 2020. And these are only cases, Paul, Paul, these these are cases only reported to police. There are so many other cases hmm, that are not reported of course, because of many other challenges, the distance police stations, the bureaucracy at the police station and all that. And recently, which is quite amazing, the closure of schools as a result of COVID-19 has led so many unwanted teen pregnancies, many of them, because in Uganda we define the as having sex with a boy or a girl under 18 whether they, whether they consent to it or not. Because once they are children, they, they don't have the ability to consent, to make judgment and consent. So in short, when we talk about teen pregnancies, we're talking about 600 and a staggering 650,000 and teen pregnancies between, recorded between 2020 and 2021 as a result largely of closure of schools and this is can
0: i I come in there tomorrow sorry can i come in there at that point there's a couple of questions i want to ask i mean this is really profoundly insightful so there's two questions i want to ask first of all why why when you mentioned earlier on about the numbers tripling what's why Mm. did they triple i mean one case is one case too many let alone thousands what was responsible for the tripling of numbers? And my other question then is, what penalties are are there for people that are actually, um, you know, found guilty of their uh, alleged crime? You know, what happens to them? You know, are the are the penalties severe, or is there a culture? Well, it's just a woman, so it doesn't really matter. And I've heard about that saying in certain parts of the world where that disgusting attitude of it's only a woman, so you know she must have deserved it. You know, I mean, that's barbaric. So those two questions,
1: Amar. Yes, largely there are many factors, but the, I think the major factor has been the lockdown. Now with the lockdown, many men would go to urban centers to work, do these many jobs, Poor wheelbarrows carry loads on uh, Work on, work working in hotels and bars, all of them were locked. So they went home. And in most cases, most of these cases actually happen in urban areas, urban, semi-urban areas, where people with low incomes are renting a single room and therefore with a family of about six. So if you are six people renting a single room with a small sitting room, and then you are staying at home, all of you at that time, the conflicts are bound to arise. And as a result, I think COVID-19 has been largely responsible for these forms of violence. However, there has been an, uh, another factor, which is land. Most of these violent acts especially against each other as a result of fight for land and space. As, as countries, as, as towns continue to grow and urbanize, Land is becoming a more, much, much more precious commodity than it used to be in Africa, because in Africa there used to be a lot of land. The government would have so much land that people would come and sit on land, It's government, it has no man's land, and then eventually claim it. That's not even very far until as recent as thirty years ago, but now the land question is increasing, and then there's a lot of violence around land. There's a lot of violence around uh, basically as a result of COVID lockdown, people locked in one space. Then the psychological trauma of being a family man and not earning an income uh, is is also a problem when actually you are in a society which gives. which which allocates responsibilities of funding and financing family activities to men. So a man feels less of a man when he's not working and providing for his wife. And the wife is making a lot of demands whether the man is working or not. And this is likely to exacerbate the conflict that is happening in, in, in the country. Because as you can see, the cases actually came increased in 2020, in 2021 it's becoming too much. We used to have very few teen pregnancies, probably less than 10,000 a year. Now we are recording 32,000 teenage pregnancies a a month. And most of these, most of these are actually forced. Some of them are raped, others are are filed out of enticement for for some gifts because of poverty and, and, and lockdown and all that. But we cannot also blame this solely on government and COVID-19. There is also a decline in parenting practices in the country. For me, I see a very big parenting deficit because people are becoming more and more increasingly engaged in their work. They are increasingly engaged in their work to earn money, support families because life is becoming more and more expensive. Education in Uganda is a highly elitist venture in that people who don't have money, who don't have good incomes, cannot at all afford education for their children. If they do, they send their children to universal primary schools, which are government founded schools, where even government officials themselves can't send their children to, because the facilities there are non-existent. They're in some places, they're just grass-thatched houses, uh, just sit see there they, 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 they are, there have been pictures running around of classrooms under trees, so, As a result of the education being elitist also, then it means that we have a bigger problem where people are struggling to meet the education needs, the family needs of their families, and they're paying less and and less attention to their children. Now, surprisingly, when this teenage pregnancy hit 650,000 or any jobs in Uganda, including UNSF, including United Nations, are castigating government for closing schools for long, which is a fact because Uganda is the only country in the world with schools still closed since March 2020. However, that said, I, 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 in my thinking, when I was talking about it with my colleagues here, I think I was trying to tell them, look here, the problem is not about closing schools, because if your girl is going to run out of the family, get pregnant, before she's 18, and then you're blaming government only. You should also look at your parenting skills. There's a, there's no time given to children by parents. They don't have time, they go. So boarding schools have become the parents of children. Teachers have become the parents of children. The teachers are highly motivated due to low pay and other factors, and you know, public workers are largely motivated because there is massive, massive corruption, where we are missing, where we're losing about seven billion US dollars each year in corruption scandals and then people feel bad that they're not paid good salaries when others are stealing the money, when political leaders are getting a lot of money. Let me give you an example, Paul. An MP in Uganda, member of parliament, gets 35 million Ugandish shillings, which is approximately 10,000, it's actually 10,000 US dollars a month. And a medical doctor, a medical surgeon, a consultant gets something like 70 million, which is about almost a fifth of what he's getting, five million. A fifth university professor until recently was getting about five million, which is six times less a member of parliament whose qualification requirement is just senior six. So these things all happen because there's a struggle for resources. And therefore there's no time for children from parents. That could be another factor for violence. But the other factor is also that we are a country which has experienced civil war, here and there. So there's a lot of violence in civil war. There's a lot of intolerance. We have so many tribes, about 60. So if you're in Uganda living in Ankore, they will discriminate against you even when you're Ugandan. And therefore, when you are a like me, from Ankore like me, living in Kampala, the capital city of Uganda, say this is our area. So they'll discriminate against you. And the president is a Mnankoli. They'll say you and are oppressing us because clearly, There is a lack of democratic credentials, so people then tend to bring tribes here and there, and then fight and kill one another, and it's it's very disgusting. In in many ways, in many ways, we are bringing up a young generation of violent people. Violent people, you know. know, What about the
0: penalties then, Naboth? What about the penalties for people that get?
1: That is for. Yes, Uganda is a very interesting country. We have. A, a very robust legal and policy framework to fight violence, to fight gender, to fight defilement. Actually, in terms of defilement and rape, the, the punishment is life imprisonment, if you are convicted. And in terms of GBV, you can go up seven seven years and above if you beat your wife at home or your husband at home. The problem thats that because of the, of, the, of the of the corruption, because of the inefficiency in the public, in the police, judicial systems, it is very difficult, very difficult to get a conviction. It is even very difficult for a case to be listed. So somebody will be taken to jail, probably spend their six years without any single hearing, and then they would say we need to congest the jails and take him out, probably without a hearing. Then it will be very difficult also to prove. You know, some of these cases are very difficult to prove because they require women to go and provide evidence. So most women, when they are raped, they just bathe, they just bathe and wash their their underwear, which instead of taking it to police, and many of them wouldn't take it to police, and then this community the thing of Serving sort of things by in the community, so somebody rapes a girl. The next day, uh, he takes a cow or a goat to the to the wife to the to the girl's father, and the father says, "Okay, she's your wife. You can even go ahead and marry her." This poverty and other things, all these ones connive to to make the justice system very ineffective. And uh, when actually the laws prescribed in the laws are clear, there's an anti-GBV law of 2015, there is a defilement and defilement law, there is the anti-violence law, and all these other things in the penal court.
0: Mm. But the laws are only as strong as them being upheld, and if they're not being upheld, then, you know, one almost asks the question, what's the point?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, what's the point? Because there seems to be a lack of political will to implement laws. They just make good laws, put them on the shelf, and then everything else works by itself. And uh, as a result, people are becoming violent. You know, simple traffic offenses, recently somebody, a driver of the United Nations, was knocked by a motorcycle, motorcycle taxi. We call them border, border here. And then eventually, the border border guy, the guy came out and wanted to settle things, the border border guy ran, and the there's one also ran after him and in the process knocked another an, another motorcycle guy. And then he was beaten to death by the motorcycle guys who are very So there is too much violence and too much, and when you tell people they say, it doesn't make sense, to God. So you see, somebody takes somebody's comes and occupies your land, and somebody says, "I'm not going to court." Let him take the land, because if I go to court, I will never get justice, and I will receive. I will spend much more money than buying another piece of land. So you, you see the despondency with the law and what and and the effect it's causing.
0: Hmm. So it's as I um, such as myself, then um, say. um about coming to Uganda as a, dare I say, as a white Westerner, how would
1: I be received?
0: What what would be my kind of reception, my welcome?
1: Yes, you'd be welcome. In Uganda, Uganda is a very interesting country. People are very hospitable. They will welcome you. They do, you know, they will welcome you in all ways. But you have to be very careful of Uganda. They are fraudsters also, and they believe... uh, uh, white people whom we call about Zoom will have money, so they will want to defraud you, be they, be they small briefcase NGOs, which don't have the commitment, you know, the, an NGO like mine is just a new one, but it's the commitment, They're those which just register, no commitment, get funds from people, and then delete their websites and their addresses the following day, so we, we, we have a problem, the fact is, we have a problem, eh? but in terms of people relations, we are a very welcoming, very welcoming nation. I have seen people on Azin an Island, and many people have come to Uganda and they say we are going to make it home. It's going to be a beautiful because it's a beautiful country. The weather is wonderful. In Uganda, you can own anything. In Uganda, the people like it is people can people have too much freedom as long as you're not you are not you are, you are not competing for political office and and rubbing the powers that be the wrong way you are virtually do everything you want. So that's that's the picture. It's a double-edged sword. Once you are clear on what you want, once you are careful, then Uganda is fine.
0: Mm. Mm. Just listening to you speak there, Naboth, about these uh, these horrific crimes, particularly against females and particularly against young females, um, you know, this, this whole mm. kind of culture is very much fear-driven, isn't it? And as we know, generally, you know, the antidote to fear is love. Would you say that generally the Ugandan people are loving people? Uh, uh, Law abiding, you mean? No, loving. I didn't hear loving. well. Loving, caring, compassionate people.
1: Yes, absolutely, they are. And you, you wonder sometimes. Sometimes you, so you, sometimes you don't understand. But when you meet them individually, individually they are very wonderful. Hmm? Individually, they are very wonderful people. So, and then you wonder why? Where do these people who commit all these things, these crimes, come from? But uh, the, the, the crimes are also in different parts of the country. Most there are some parts of the country you know, where people where gender domestic violence is very high. Uh, although it's cropping up in, in our area, also in Western Uganda, but there are other places where it is not high. So honestly speaking, you know, um, the first time I w- I remember the first time I went to London, people were very good to me. I've been, I've been to London twice, and the first time I went there, people were extremely good to me. And, um, but I, they were also boys, because I, I, whenever I went to London, I would stay in, in the London School of Economics, the as whole in London School of Economics, and then there would be people around, some of them drunk and shouting at you and calling you names, uh, the Irish people are very welcoming, uh, but that doesn't take away their, their individual personality and their in, individual flaws as well, and the first time I, I went in a, on a plane, I landed in Brussels, somebody wanted to call me of my money. And when I was in Ireland, somebody conned me of about two hundred dollars, selling me some effect camera. So I think that there are these kinds of people in mm. in, in all places. Yeah, yeah. there are these kinds of people in all, who who will take advantage of other people. So mm. the things I'm not saying, I'm saying, but doesn't mean it's completely, completely negative. Negative? No, 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 no. You enter a hotel in Uganda, you get very good service. Hmm? You, you 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 enter. You come to the airport. You get good service. Every, especially if you are coming as a tourist, good service. If you're, there's always been good, be good, good service. I know so many people have been here, bought land, have built houses, and they are here. But I mean, there are those bad apples. I'm not saying all of them are. I don't want to paint a picture of a country, which is completely unruly. There's no rule of law. Of course, there is some rule of law. There are corrupt police officers, but if you're a visitor. If you're a person who can speak for yourself, like myself, and something happens, and the policeman wants a bribe, I refuse to give it. And I, then I got his spirit, and the spirit will, will put him to order. Uh, you know, Most of the people doing these things are people in the field. These are, they are always bad apples. But you meet very good people, very good people, who will help you, who will not take anything like the UPD, for example, the Uganda People's Defense Forces. Very, very, very resilient, very good army, eh? very uh, just very poor people So these things happen in some places, but there are some institutions which are systematic institutions known for certain things. I recently had a, 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 a conflict settled in court, and somebody, had, my mother had a conflict, so I, I went on her behalf, and I never paid. I never paid a single bribe. My mother won the case, and I never paid a bribe at all. I was never forced to pay any bribe. It happened, and it happened, and they told them there are still some systems where, people, where things work, where. Well. Hmm? But it's this exploitation of the poor people. When you're poor, will, you'll will sell your land even to get to pursue other piece of land and all that. So,
0: mm-hmm. maybe.
1: Yeah. So, if there was one thing, Naboth, just
0: one thing, and I know there's not ever going to be one thing. So I'm asking a kind of a, a really strange question here in many respects. You know, if there was one thing, even if it was a small thing that we could do by way of a project to help the people of Uganda, what would that be?
1: Ah, Paul, when you say small, I don't know what the magnitude of small, but for me, if I were to choose one thing that I would do, I would, do, I, I, I would do engage in, in, in training and advocacy against violence, and I would build a shelter, at least accommodating at least about 15, 15 women per time to accommodate. Because you see, when when gender based violence happens, these women are beaten off from their homes. And the reason they they, they fail to report police, they they refuse, is because they you know they report and go back home and they'll be beaten again. So, in my part of the of the country, there are few people. The government has about two shelters in police stations. Which are like prison. Sometimes somebody comes, has been beaten by the husband, or the husband has been by a wife, and they are because they have nowhere to put him at police and the wife is at home threatening to kill him. Now they put him in jail with other criminals because they don't have nowhere to put him. So for me, I would think of a shelter that would cater for these women as they wait, as we solve their problem. And if there were more funding, I would establish a one-stop center where women who are raped would call a a helpline we go and pick them help them take them to police help them to report with with all the evidence put them in a shelter as we wait what to do give them a counseling psychologist hmm? give them a lawyer to to, to take them to court to accompany them to court so that we can receive we, we can get convictions because we can get real convictions For these people so that the others then in the community would know that this is happening so basically that's what i would would do as my first major thing if i had funding
0: listen Naboth, it's been an absolutely from my point of view a fascinating insight to learn about you know what goes off in in another part of the world because isn't it true listeners you know we kind of all all of us as human beings we get that used to our own way of being and we think this is life as we know it. And, you know, we might get uh, caught up in the emotion of what's happening somewhere else in the world. But that very quickly passes and we carry on with our own life wherever we may be. And I think one of the things, just listening yeah. to um, Naboth speak there about some of these horrific situations, particularly against girls and, and women in Uganda, is, is around raising awareness um, because if you know the, the awareness is not raised and a real stink's made about this, and I'm not sure on a global scale that whether it's this particular context or or challenges around our planet, I don't I don't think there's enough noise and enough accountability made. I really don't, and that's why I ask you know both the questions around what punishment, you know and what's the reality, what deterrents are there. So. Listen, I mean, we, we haven't even scratched the surface here, but I want to thank you. I want to thank you immensely for, you know, just within this 25, 30 minutes or so or whatever it's been around, certainly from a personal point of view, sharing these insights around what happens, you know, within this world of ours, because I think it's fair to say that most people don't know, and I'm not saying they don't care, but how can you care if you don't know? So through podcasts and conversations like this and raising the voice, um, you know, surely that's a good thing. So I, yet again, I want to thank you for the for your time, for your, your insights, your experience. But most of all, the compassion that you have as a brother, what I call as a brother for, you know, everything that you do and what you care about. And hopefully, you know, under the banner of World Game Changers, we can combine and, uh, you know, we can make a difference to these... Uh, some of these horrific situations.
1: Yeah. No. Thank you very much, Paul.
0: So, at that point, listeners, all that remains uh, at that very poignant, very poignant notice for me to sign off by saying, as I always do, remember the world's changing. How will you respond?